You've got mail. You've got mail. Hold on just a second. I've got mail. And it looks as though I just might be the recipient of a pretty big payday. All I have to do is reply by clicking on this link and provide my banking details. Wait a minute. Is this chance of fortune too good to be true? Could this be one of those interweb scams that Kevin from IT told me about? Nah, the interweb wouldn't do that to me. Or would it? Well, let's find out together. But before we do, why don't we check in with a cybersecurity expert? And it just so happens that today we've got one. What a coincidence. I'm Jeff Livingston, and this is ADP's Insights at Work podcast. Let's dive in. This is the podcast that looks at what's happening in the HR world, takes your questions, and studies the research to help HR experts move forward. It's prepared by HR experts for HR experts. Since launching the Insights at Work podcast, we've had a wide variety of guests appear to talk about a wide variety of topics that really speak to the HR professional and how they can better support their career and their organization. I'd like to believe that if you're going to invest the time and listen to one podcast, well, it's going to be ours. So today, to continue making the time you spend so worthwhile, we have an incredible topic and guest. He's a keynote conference speaker, published author, and TED Talk presenter. Andre Boyson is the Chief Identity Officer for SecureKey. He's been named one of Canada's top 40 under 40 in recognition of his vision and accomplishments, and he currently lectures at Wilfrid Laurier's Schlegel Entrepreneurship Center. And of course, we are so very lucky to have him. Welcome to the podcast, Andre. Jeff, thanks so much for having me. Well, it's great to have a TEDx speaker finally on the podcast. Andre, HR and cybersecurity go hand in hand. It's clear that remote working is here to stay. Just think about this. Over the last year, some organizations have migrated from 5,000 workers in one place to workers in 5,000 places. As HR reestablishes work policies to accommodate these remote employees, we are seeing a new workforce, the hybrid workforce, one largely split between office and remote environments. Now, keeping your teams healthy and safe in this new normal, it's a top priority, as is making sure their remote endpoints are managed and secure. But with these changes come a list of concerns and issues that many organizations just aren't ready to address. So Andre, I'm gonna start with these questions. Do we need heightened awareness during this new normal? And how has the rapid shift to a remote workforce impacted the cybersecurity of businesses? That's a great question, Jeff. I guess uh, all of us are working from home now and having to adjust to a, a new normal. And we're all used to the office environment where everything's set up and we have lots of support, but now we're all doing things from home. And for sure that requires some additional 
security measures to be in place to make sure we can keep the information safe at home just as we do at the office. And that that's changing things for all of us. So speaking about COVID-19, since the outbreak, the increase of cybercrime has been unprecedented, particularly in malware and corporate cybersecurity attacks. Hackers have chosen to exploit the work from home model where corporate networks that were once relatively secure can now be accessed from insecure locations like the employee's home. The hacker's job has just gotten a lot easier. They no longer have to work hard to create complex malware that needs to pass through tough corporate security solutions. They just need to fool the unsuspecting employee to open a malicious email attachment. Andre, before we get into the solutions part of the podcast, I wanted to spend some time highlighting the vulnerabilities and routine tasks that unsuspecting employees might be doing that's putting them at risk. There's lots of things that we're doing at our home that we wouldn't necessarily do at the office. Um, I don't know about you, but I am uh, love to have all these gadgets in my house and so my garage, my stereo, my door and cameras and even light bulbs now are connected to the internet. So these all pose a risk in themselves. And then also, uh, you know, I, I do work stuff on my home computer, but I also do home stuff. And so downloading things from the internet that I might find entertaining or a game or whatever also pose risks. And so this mixing of business and home environments presents all sorts of challenges. So Andre, what can our HR teams be doing to educate employees to ensure that work is being conducted securely to meet those challenges? All organizations have IT procedures that we need to follow. And, um, you know, we're all used to taking laptops home from work and on the road when perhaps when we're traveling. So following the regulations and the policies your organizations have set out are for sure important. Um, but there's also work that needs to be done here to simplify the environment a little bit. One of the challenges is with the internet today is that there is no identity layer. And so we have this double diffusion problem. When I'm on the web, I don't know if I'm really talking to the website, I think. And that website doesn't know if it's really me either. So we do have some work to do to simplify this down so that everybody doesn't have to become a PhD in security to be successful on the internet. That's coming. But in the, in the meantime, uh, sticking to the things that you know and not clicking on things you don't know the source of are, is really important. Andre, let's talk about clicking on those links that, well, Maybe we shouldn't. I'd love to hear your thoughts on something that happened to me about five years ago. Why, I recall it like it was just yesterday. Not because of the beautiful sky or birds tripping away outside my office window, but because my colleague came busting into my office like the Kool-Aid man, as if she had seen a ghost. And I kind of wish she had, because that would have been a lot easier to handle than this. Andre, my colleague had just clicked on a very tailored, very clever phishing link and not only locked up her computer with all of our design files, but parts of our server too. We had just been hit with some ransomware, complete with what looked like a red screen of death and instructions on how to wire funds to an anonymous hacker. I'd like to think we handled it like champs, but looking back, there were things I wish I would have done differently. HR and IT professionals are seeing more and more ransom attacks nowadays. So in your opinion, at that moment, what should I have done and what should the HR professional know to do if this happens to them? So there's a few things to do here. One is uh, protections to do in advance is to make sure you always have you know, ongoing backups of your machine so that uh, this type of event is gonna be less harmful. 
A lot of the computers now have automated backup systems, so you can always have current copies of all your files uh, on uh, in the cloud with a secure backup. So that's probably your best defense. Another defense is uh, you know always knowing uh, what software is on your machine, not downloading software from third parties that you're you're not familiar with. And then also running the antivirus on your machine very frequently is also a good defense. And another uh, protection you can have in place is using a, a good password manager. There's several that are out there, but two that are kind of top of mind is one is called LastPass and one is called Dashlane. And both of them allow you to have very long and complex passwords and change them very frequently, which also give you an additional protection. So those are some of the things you can do in advance. Uh, in the moment, um, when you've, you know, you're dealing with the event and you're not sure that you have a backup and your data is not there, you have to kind of consider the, the cost and benefit. How hard is it going to be for me to reconstruct my life without my data versus paying this criminal? And you know, then there's also the post-event thing to think about is, do they still have the connection that allowed them to get your data in the first place? So those are some things you've got to think about as you try to recover from this event. So how often do cyber attacks and ransomware come up? It is a very common phenomenon for sure. It's becoming less common as we get to more secure um, internet identity infrastructure. This is going to be harder and harder to mount. It's interesting that the way the crooks uh, take advantage of your life is um, resetting your passwords and putting a new password on it, and then they give you that password back to uh, solve it. And so the, the way to get out of this problem is not make passwords the primary security mechanisms for the internet. And so that's the quest that we're on to provide, you know, like we have secure payment infrastructure for the world. We're going to have secure identity infrastructure where you can choose your favorite provider and I can choose mine. And we can use that to anchor the things that we care about on the Internet. And when we lose access to our Internet, it's easy to recover. Just like when you lose your bank card, you make one phone call, you, you get it turned off and you can continue. That's where we're heading towards an identity. It's coming. But in the meantime, you still have to deal with some of this complexity and some of this pain and be careful on the Internet. Andre, let's look at things through the employee's career lifecycle lens. And let's start with recruitment and onboarding. HR has access to large amounts of sensitive information and they're handling more of that data over email than ever before. And it's become harder than ever to verify a colleague's request, especially when they're not in the same room as you. So how can HR safely perform recruitment and onboarding without ever having to meet the candidate or the employee face to face? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, there's there's all sorts of different organizations out there. Some are small, some are large, some have extremely large workforces, and some have very seasonal workforces. And so in the onboarding uh, environment, we're trying to do a couple of things. We're trying to assess the identity of the person who's trying to become one of our employees. So we need to get the bank information and the tax information for sure. And then we're also going to want to review uh, the things that are in the uh, resume and maybe confirm university degrees and so on. And so Today, the challenge is, is that um, making fictitious claims uh, that to come off as quite credible is very easy to be to be uh, you know conducted on the internet. And so there are tools that are coming out. One example is a service we have that allows Canadians to use their bank account to get access to all sorts of services online. So now, as an organization, if you want to onboard your employees, they can quickly provide tax information and bank account details to make it easy to onboard without ever meeting them face to face. Andre, in my research, the term identity verification came up over and over, and you've mentioned it today. Why is identity verification so important? And why are we gonna hear so much more about it? Are you referring to just usernames and passwords? 
Yeah, when it comes to uh, identity, there's, you know, not to make everybody an identity expert, but there's three elements. One is the identity question, is Jeff Jeff? There's the authentication question, which is, is the person who's trying to access the site now the same person who showed up the first time? And then there's the authorization question, what can Jeff do once he's inside one of my systems? So that's the, the, the full gamut of what identity and identity proofing is all about. And so when it comes to the internet, the challenges, there is no layer for doing this. All of us here are familiar with user IDs and passwords. That's the authentication thing. And, you know, we all have a big stack of user IDs and passwords. And so that's the problem is there is no identity layer on the internet. And so what has happened is every website is, runs a, a service, has to run a user ID and password stack. So we wind up a big stack of these. And so you get two problems. On the one hand, users can't remember the passwords, so they make some of them the same. And on the other side, the crooks are trying to breach websites to get data because they can use that data to replay and pretend to be Jeff at other websites. And so that's where we are today. And where we're moving to is getting to stronger identity systems. So a way that I can prove I'm Andre in a way that's easy for me. And at the same time, a way a crook couldn't do, because that's the challenge today is crooks are very good at pretending to be Andre. I'm Andre Boyson and I can't pass the Andre Boyson test. Yet the crooks don't have to remember anything all they have to do is get the information off the dark web and they get the read from a piece of paper while I'm trying to remember. Dumb questions like, what kind of car were you in the first time you made out? Is it what we're using to get access to the internet today? We need to make it better. Well, Andre, in my case, it was a 1973 baby blue Volkswagen Super Beetle. They look small on the outside, but they're pretty roomy on the inside. So let me break this down into layman terms for those of us who haven't given TEDx talks on cybersecurity. It sounds like the current password management process has a lot of gaps in it. After all, we're typically asked the same verification questions over and over through the different websites and platforms we interact with. Like, what's my mother's maiden name? Well, that's Melville. And when's my birthday? Well, of course, that's July 1st, 1973. Or who's my oldest cousin? That's Edward. My first pet? Oh, man. Do I miss Mr. Green Jeans? Well, then somehow the dark web and the criminals can get a hold of our answers when they infiltrate some of those platforms and then they piece our password question responses together. Now, identity verification and the technology you're talking about is a third-party software that companies turn to. So rather than relying on their own teams to manage the password process and security around it, they turn to that third-party provider who then confirms the identity of the employee or the candidate. So from the HR perspective, when an employee forgets their password or has to prove they are who they say they are, rather than using data that could be obtained on the dark web, the third-party service can quickly and more securely confirm their identity and get them up and running on the company platforms. Oh, did I forget that they sometimes also ask for my favorite movie? Well, which of course is Star Wars. Andre, have you seen that movie? It's a classic. Yeah, I'm a Star Wars nerd. I love the movies. One of the challenges is that like, you know, you and I are like in the, inside the corporate environment. So relatively sophisticated as uh, business people and as users, but, you know, trying to expect the local barista at Starbucks as an example to have a PhD in security when I'm accessing an internal system. And it's just not a realistic expectation. People are, are busy doing what they're doing. And so trying to expect in every moment, they're going to turn on their PhD alert and say, oh, alert, 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 <laughs> DEFCON 5, DEFCON 5. It's just not a viable strategy. And so we need to simplify this down. 
And so my big push is stop pushing security out to users. It's a bad idea because they can't keep up. We need to simplify this down. The best way to make this system secure is to hide the security away from everybody. Okay, so now that we know how third-party verification works, how does the HR professional leverage this relatively new technology? There's two examples I want to talk. One is inside the organization and the second is inter-organizational. In the, inside the organization, when I'm a new employee and I've been on you know, for three months or whatever, and maybe I've gone away for a vacation and I come back and I, I, I want to reset my password, this is a high-risk event, resetting my password inside the organization. And in times of COVID, I may not have met anybody at the IT help desk in person ever. And so the, the IT help desk has a challenge. Is this Andre or somebody who's managed to get information off Andre's laptop trying to reset his password? So that's one big risk area we need to sort out is the password reset inside the organization. What can we rely on that the, our employee has already in their own possession that we can use as an anchor to make this password reset trustworthy? So that's one example. The same, second example is interorganizational. Maybe I run a small business and uh, you know I've got uh, a bunch of folks that help me cut grass in the summer and I, I plow driveways in the winter. And you know what's happened is I'm not a very sophisticated business person. I don't understand IT. And so what happens is the crooks manage to get some of my data and they call over to the payroll organization saying, oh, my name's Andre and I need to get my password reset because I got to make payroll for all my employees and it's Friday night and help me, help me, help me. And so the challenge is, is uh, the payroll organization I'm working with has never met me in person and they've got this challenge. They want to make sure that they help me make payroll, but they also want to make sure it's not a password attack. And so these are big gaps that need to be overcome by having trusted infrastructure that's not dependent on any single organization, but more like the payment system that works for Canadians right across the economy. So Andre, what schemes and tactics are you seeing deployed right now by the cyber criminals? And what should we as end users be weary of? Right. We're normalizing bad behavior. We're training people to do stupid things. And so we want to stop this. And so there was a Another example is like, the, you know, an eyeglasses app or one that allows you to change your hairdo. You sign up for this app and you think you're going to check out your new hairdo. But what all they're trying to really do is get your photo. You are getting to see your new hairdo, but they want your photo because they want to use the photo to sign up at you as another service. The most important thing is in times of COVID, recognize that um, you've got to you know, always be vigilant and making sure you are accessing the thing you think you're accessing. So always be slightly suspicious just so, so that you're on alert when you're accessing systems to make sure that there's nothing amiss. So that's uh, thing one. Uh, the second thing is to limit how many new things you take on in, in terms of sharing sensitive information with new sites during times of COVID till we get to this better identity scheme that I'm talking about. And thirdly, I'd really limit uh, services that are asking you to take a picture of your driver's license and take a selfie and send that into them. I would really hesitate to do that unless you're really confident about who you're giving it to. Uh, that's all the information the crooks need to take over your identity and start doing password resets and getting a mortgage or a phone in your name. So limiting the amount of identity information you share, particularly when it comes to taking photos of documents and photos of yourself, is something I'd really be reluctant to do until we get to a, a stronger identity scheme. Always be vigilant or slightly suspicious. I think if I had a boat, those just might be the top two names I'd consider for it. <laughs> Yes. And, and that new website you went to, I, I, I don't know how many times I've been to a new website like stupidsite.com that I thought was really cool. 
and it turned out it wasn't useful, but they have all of all the information about me now to, to harm me because the password reset questions I gave to them are the same that I've given to every other website I've ever been to. Exactly. I suppose at the end of the day, it's because every website asks you for the same verification question. So when one site is hacked, the criminals have all of the information they need to start their work on stealing your identity. This is actually a, a really important point is that expecting users to have passwords that are 32 digits long that are made out of Egyptian glyphs and change every 15 seconds is just not a realistic expectation. And so we need to allow users to make choices that are work for them and that are simple for them without having to worry about being a PhD in security. And so you're, I think you should have the right to make your password Star Wars and suffer no consequence for it, but we're not there yet. No, we're not there yet. Another term I came across in my research is the term hybrid approach to cybersecurity. What's the hybrid approach to cybersecurity and how can businesses integrate this? A uh, hybrid approach generally means blending different approaches. And so when, when you think about uh, authentication as, as an example, banks often use what's called a layered authentication scheme. So they will have the user ID and password they, they gave you, but they also know, you know, as an example, they've asked for permission to gather information about the device that you're on as well as the IP address. And they also get a, a sense of what time of day and what locations you access the bank from. And so they use all of that data to make assessments about every new access to decide if it's you or not. So that's a hybrid or a blended approach. And so, you know, when you think about, you know, IT systems inside an organization, having a single gate on any system is probably not good security posture. You want to have a, a blend of measures to, for detection and prevention and remediation in place so that uh, no single failure will give access to crooks. It's by having this blended approach or hybrid approach, you'll have better protection. Now, speaking about protection, with so many of us working remotely, we might find ourselves out and about running errands during working hours when we need to respond to a work concern. What's more secure, a company mobile device like your phone or a company laptop? Yeah, that the, 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 it's not a, a straightforward answer actually, because uh, part of it is, is how is your 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 laptop or your phone connecting to the service you're wanting to access, and so Wi-Fi comes into this as well. Are you using cellular or Wi-Fi? Wi-Fi is uh, you know tremendously risky because there can be surveillance on, and, and you know you and I are on the internet right now, but we don't know how many people are watching in on this call as an example. So your connection is at least as important as the device itself. But on balance, I'd say uh, the newer um, mobile devices actually have very, very good security measures in place that are tamper-proof. So it's harder for crooks to mount attacks on a phone uh, directly than a laptop per se, because they can't do the downloads as easily on a, on a phone as you can on a laptop. But still, there's you know tricks that users or, or crooks use, like things like sending you an SMS on your phone. So this is the problem, um, you know, users having to understand. None of the banks here in Canada send an SMS messages out to their customers on their phone because they don't believe it's secure. However, lots of other organizations do. Facebook does it, Netflix does it, Amazon, and so on. So when my dad gets a message on his phone that purports to be from his bank and saying suspicious activity, log in now, log in now, my dad doesn't know how a URL works. He clicks on the link and the next thing you know, despite the fact that his bank has very good security measures in place, they've got a breach on his hand just because my dad didn't understand what was going on. So all of that to say, it's not a simple device question. It's also the access method. Andre, I volunteer on a board for a local not-for-profit. And when we're conducting our audits with our accounting firm, they strongly recommend purchasing cybersecurity insurance. What are your thoughts on that? Is it a worthwhile investment? 
I think the short answer is yes. It's definitely a worthwhile thing to pursue and and to have, but it's important also to to understand what the limits of the policy are. So having it in place will allow you to recover and get back to where you were in, in some way and or, you know mitigate some of those costs. But you also need to read the policy carefully to understand what it covers, and more importantly, what it doesn't cover. Now, Andre, before we get to your list of favorite things, what else can businesses do to protect their cybersecurity? Do you have any advice for those who are listening? Okay, so here, here's the problem is that every website on I've been to on the planet, they ask me these password reset questions. They make me make the long, crazy password, and then they ask me dumb questions like, where did you all go to high school? What's your mother's maiden name? What kind of car were you in the first time you made out? Every website on the planet has the answer to those three questions. So even if they can't figure out my password, they can go to the new website, like my bank, and use the password resets they just got off stupidsite.com to reset my bank password questions because the answers are the same. So we have this diffusion issue. So if we want to shut down this problem, the way we're going to do it is by not making having data about users sufficient to masquerade as them, which is where we are today. The crooks go do data breaches because they can harvest the data and make money. The way to solve the problem is make the data worthless. And the way we made the data worthless is having possession of the data alone is not sufficient to take over your identity. That's where we need to get to. The truth is, is that to the internet architecture we have is every website has to stand up a user ID and password stack. And no organization made that choice. It was the only choice available as the internet unfolded. But now there are better choices that are becoming available. So as you think about rolling out your new services and how you're going to onboard and manage the customer lifecycle you have for your employees and your customers, you should start looking to third-party network services that will help make this service better. This is going to make it cheaper and more cost-effective and less security risky than having your own user ID and password stack. And it's also going to make it more convenient and easier for the people who are trying to access your systems, both your customers and your employees. So stop with the user ID and password scheme of your own and start using network services because it's going to be better for you and better for your customers. Okay, and now on to one of my favorite parts of doing the podcast, the time where I get to learn just a little bit more about what makes our guests tick. So Andre, relax, take a seat on the metaphorical ADP couch and let's chat about your favorite things in life. Let's pull into the ADP Insights at Work Conversation Corner. Are you ready? Okay, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Andre, what's your favorite tool to help get work done? I use a task manager called OmniFocus. It does a great job of helping me keep a good vision on all the projects I have in my life and all the commitments I've made on each side of those projects and make sure I don't drop anything. Now, I use it to implement my strategy, my get things done methodology that was written by David Allen. All right. What's your favorite resource to go to for industry information? We have an organization here in Canada, and I encourage actually all of your, your HR professionals to go investigate it called DIAC, the Digital Identity Authentication Council of Canada, which is an organization that's working on solving this digital identity problems for business and for Canadians right across the economy. It's a great resource that I use when I want to uh, get information about digital services and what types of problems different organizations are trying to solve. And it's a great place to learn about how to make this identity problem better. Awesome. Well, I'll have to check it out. Andre, what's your favorite music album? I like so many different kinds of music. I had a hard time answering this question, but uh, if I went to one album that like was the biggest you know, mind changer in my life was would be Stop Making Sense by the Talking Heads. And a close second would be uh, Animal Logic uh, with Stuart Copeland with some others who did so, two albums that were quite amazing. So those are those are the two that come to mind. 
Fantastic. What was your favorite toy as a kid? I had a wooden constructor set that was kind of like Meccano, and I loved it. It set me on a path of being a maker, which I still love and I'm still doing today. Well, to help the next generation on their path to success, what's your favorite piece of advice you'd give to someone who's just starting out in their career? I would say you want to become an expert in at least two domains. It's an extraordinary path to insight and growth, I think. It comes from when you can see and interpolate the, the things that are happening from different points of view. For, for me, it was you know, the intersection of business and technology. And I came out uh, in the technology scene when uh, Windows 3.0 was the thing. And so there was a big gap between people who wanted to use computers and people who understood how they worked. And so I found a niche in there that's kind of took me through my career. When you look back in time, the most important person in the, the, the kingdom was always the translator. You had to be a, an expert in your own kingdom's culture as well as the visiting kingdom's culture. And you also had to know what the queen wanted. And that, that was an extraordinary position of power. And I say that's still true today. If you can become an expert at least two domains, you'll have extraordinary insights and a really profitable and interesting career. No truer words could be spoken. When I need to know what the queen wants, I just ask my wife or our six-year-old daughter. I've got three queens in my life and I listen to all of them. Well, and on those wise words, it looks like we've run out of racetrack. Andre, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the Insights at Work podcast. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate the invitation. It was a great conversation. And uh, let's go see the next Star Wars movies together. We'll talk again soon. And this is the part of the podcast where I thank everyone for listening in. I know it's tough to find time to carve out for thought leadership. And I appreciate you, the listener, for making the time for us. Anything we can do to help ourselves get better at something is time well spent. On our next episode, we'll be talking with more HR experts about today's most important HR issues. I'm Jeff Livingston. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be kind. We'll see you soon on our next episode of ADP's Insights at Work.